0: Okay, so we are on, uh, for tonight, we are on part two of the fourth principle. So the fourth principle has to do with God's eternity, Um, and we spent a lot of time, uh, I think, last week discussing the issue of God being first, Um, and we, I think when we ended off last week, we had been Highlighting a little bit the difference between uh, uh, Aristotle, let's say, and the Rambam. That uh, the Aristotle is of the opinion that uh, there is a creator, but that God for eternity, God has always been the creator. So there's an eternal God and an eternal universe. And the Rambam had said in the Mower Nevuchim, amongst other places, and the Rambam and the Kuzari had said that logically uh, cannot prove that Aristotle is incorrect as far as this matter is concerned, but as a matter of religion. So it happens to be that we don't believe that that is true. We believe that God was uh, is uh, that the universe is not eternal, but God himself is eternal. And we left off uh, wondering, uh, we said that uh, one of the uh, the main uh, emphasis that we have on all of these principles is, why is it necessary to believe in that particular principle? Like the Rambam, if somebody does not believe in one of the 13 principles, whether intentionally or just or even out of ignorance, so that means that they may forfeit their share in the world to come. So the question is, why is it essential to believe that God is eternal? why can't uh, a person believe, you know what, like Aristotle said, God is eternal, the universe is eternal, it's all eternal, but either way there's a God, and God gave us the Torah at Harsinai in the year 2448, and we are now continued to be bound by that and all of the rest of the principles, so we subscribe to, we believe it, we believe in, we'll say animamins every day, we'll say yigda, we'll say the whole, uh, the whole thing, we'll say all of those things every day, uh, it just happens to believe that uh, I believe that the universe is eternal, the same as God. So I think that's where we left off with that question sort of hanging over your mind. Uh, and I hope that you wouldn't turn into popcorn between last week and this week. So it could be that those people who didn't show up, so maybe that, that they did make that wrong turn somewhere along the way between last week and this week. But we will now try and uh, and answer that uh, that question. So the, uh, the answer that we're going to have, it comes from Rav Yaakov Weinberg. Once again, he was the Rashiva of of Nair Yisrael uh, and gave a series of lectures on the 13 principles, which then they ended up uh, transcribing and putting into a, into a Sefer. So he says that uh, he's of the opinion that there's a logic by which we can prove or we could demonstrate at least that God is eternal and the universe is not. And it begins in a somewhat, uh, what I think is an interesting uh, uh, starting point, as far as this is concerned. And that is the well-known Madrash. The Madrash tells us, and the Gemara really also talks about it, that Avramavinu Avinu uh, reached the conclusion that there, exi- that there existed a creator uh, who created the universe. That Avramavinu Avinu himself uh, did not agree with the notion that there is an eternal universe, but God himself, there is a God who created the universe yeshmeyayin, that, uh, that ex nihilo, something from nothing. How did Avramavinu Avinu uh, arrive at this conclusion? So, uh, uh, so uh, we we're told that Avramavinu Avinu looked around at the universe and he observed that there was an incredible amount of plan and purpose uh, for the world to just be some sort of cosmic accident. For the number of of things scientifically which have to fall into sequence in order for them to work you can't have uh, this is your starting point or this is your starting point because these two things work in conjunction with one another and the only way that they can exist is if both of them exist at the same time one of them that uh, that comes to mind that they talk about is the digestive system that the digestive system involves a lot of acid inside of the stomach uh, and the reason why the stomach, uh, the acid does not burn through all of the internal organs, is because there's some sort of mucus membrane inside of the stomach, which uh, is, I guess, impervious to the uh, to that acid, unless you get an ulcer or something like that. But generally, that the uh, the the membrane or the mucus inside of the stomach protects the rest of the internal organs from the acid leaking out. So now, which came first, the acid or the mucus membrane? So the mucous membrane only has value in the event that there's acid there to be able to contain the acid from leaking out, from burning its way out of the stomach. So the membrane would not have developed on its own because there'd be no purpose for it. And whatever mutation would have begun, begun that process would have been dropped because it was unnecessary. You also can't start off with the acid because if the acid comes into existence through a mutation on its own, then it would burn through the body and then people would be dead because they don't yet have the mucus which is there. So how do you go ahead and manage these two things which only work when they're in conjunction with one another, but there has to be some sort of sequence as far as how these things go. So if Ram looks at the universe as a whole, sees all of this incredible plan and purpose and every detail of the human body, every detail of creation, every part of creation has wondrous, wondrous things there. And he says that there's no way that there could possibly that this could possibly be the result of some cosmic accident. Then, in addition to the existence of a creator, that was part one of Avram Avinu's uh, um, uh, research. So his first PhD uh, is in the existence of a creator. Then Avram Avinu, he was I guess uh, he was the perpetual academic. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to go after a second PhD. And he decided that the creator cares for and imposes obligations on all of creation. Now, when we think about it, we know that this has to be true because Avraham Avinu, at a certain point in his life, he was given the choice. Either you go ahead and you worship idolatry together with the rest of us, or we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. There was a choice that Avraham Avinu uh, was uh, was offered. And we know that Avraham Avinu uh, was willing to allow himself to be thrown into that fiery furnace, rather than go ahead and worship idols. And the only way that one would be willing to do so is if they are of the opinion, they are of the belief that there is a creator who uh, prohibits them uh, from going ahead and worshiping idolatry, meaning that there has to be a system of morality which exists, that when God created the universe, he didn't create a universe without rules and without morality, but together with the creation of the universe, there was included with that a set of morals, a set of moral, what's considered to be moral behavior, and what's considered to be immoral behavior. And those uh, morals are what define the relationship between, HaKadosh Baruch between God and man. That has to be part of the system. And we know that to be true because it's only if you believe that such a system exists, would it make sense for a person to make the ultimate sacrifice of willing to give up their lives for some greater purpose. There's an instinct which we have, which is self-perpetuation. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to experience pain and nobody wants to die. And the willingness to go ahead and give up one's life must come from some higher source. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense at all for Avramavinu. Uh, nobody's going to give up their life for the Pythagorean theorem, I assume. I shouldn't uh, uh, you know, suppose like that. But I assume nobody's going to be willing to give up their life for the sake of the Pythagorean theorem or anything of that, of that sort. It's only because there's a moral imperative and there's a moral uh, guidance which uh, requires a person to, uh, to do so. And therefore, Avramavinu, as we said, so his two PhDs are, number one, the existence of a creator. And number two, the creator must have gone ahead and shared with us or must have developed a system of morality which everybody is expected to follow. So there's a set of behaviors which fit the moral behaviors which one should pursue. And there's a set of immoral behaviors which one is to avoid under all costs. One of those immoral behaviors is, is, as we know, is going to be the worship of idolatry. And in this regard, once we know these two PhDs, which Avraham Avinu has, so now the God of Avraham Avinu, if we take a step back and we think about the God as perceived by Avraham Avinu, and then the God as perceived by Aristotle, they're very different from one another. They're fundamentally different from one another in the most profound of ways. Because in Aristotle's perception of God, so uh, the God, uh, god uh, is who he is and uh, that god is the creator as we said that god uh, that the aristotles of the belief that creation is eternal god is uh, is the uh, is the one who created the uh, the eternal universe and it wasn't a conscious choice which god made to create because the very essence nature and character of god is to be the creator so in other words that, the, uh, uh, that uh, God's role as the creator, as far as Aristotle is concerned, wasn't a quote-unquote conscious choice which he made, but it's something which he felt obliged. Uh, again, it's, it's hard to b- borrow that terminology, but it's something he was compelled to do because the very essence of his nature is that he is the creator. And as a creator, there's in a sense no choice but to go ahead and create. So Aristotle doesn't see God as an active force in the universe. God just is, just like the universe. Nobody asked the universe, why do you exist? Why did you come into existence? The, 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 the universe wasn't asked, and has no bechira, has no choice as far as that is. It just is. Why is the moon the moon? The moon is the moon because it just is the moon. Why is the sun the sun? You don't ask the those question. You don't ask the question why to the sun or to the moon why they exist. They just exist. They just are. So in the same way, God, uh, the God as far as Aristotle understands it, exists as the creator simply because that is the nature and character of that God, and therefore there's no the, the question of why is there a universe. Never gets answered as far as Aristotle is concerned. There's no why the universe came into existence. There just is a a universe. And that's something since being the creator, so that's been God's role for all of eternity. And there was never a decision to go ahead and make uh, and to create the universe. That notion of there being a a decision to make, uh, to create the, the universe, so that does not occur. That does not cross the uh, the uh, the uh, the mind of Aristotle. It's not a question which is even appropriate because there was never a decision that God made to be the Creator because His definition as a Creator, His role as a Creator, has always been. That's eternal, just like Him. Avraham Avinu uh, has a rat, as we said, has a radically different position and perspective on who God is. Avraham Avinu. Uh, uh, was uh, was unsatisfied leaving the question of why is there a universe and why did God create the universe? He could not leave that as an unanswered question. He couldn't leave that as a teku or a kasha or something uh, uh, along lo- those lines. And therefore Avraham Avinu said, not only is there a God, which we talked about, who created the universe, but it was a conscious decision which was made by God to create the universe it wasn't a result of the essence of who he is but it was a conscious choice which he made and since God made the decision to create the world so almost by definition we could say that he had he had a reason as to why he was creating the universe why he made that decision we have to put it in terms of a time frame just so that we can understand it But God had to make a conscious decision to go ahead and create the universe for a particular reason. So God is omnipotent, that we've already discussed in previous principles. God doesn't lack anything. So if you have an omnipotent, omniscient God, so why would God go ahead and create a universe? What would be the goal of creating a universe as far as God is concerned? There's nothing which is lacking in God's existence. There's no void which has to be filled. So what would be the purpose in creating a God? So if Ramavina said, you know what? The only reason why God would create a universe if he's not missing anything to his existence, there's nothing lacking in his existence, is in order to be able to give to creation. The one thing that God cannot do by himself is to be able to give to his creation. So if God is going to be a bal chesed, if God is going to be a source, and his de- the definition of existence is going to be that of Chesed, that of kindness. So God is going to create an entire universe so that he should be able to give to mankind, he should be able to give to creation itself some of his goodness. So God didn't create in order to take from creation, in order that they should serve him, in order that he should receive something out of this equation, but rather he created so that he should be able to give. It was a giving act and a loving act that God went ahead and uh, and created the world. And after all of that the, the research by Avraham Avinu, where he draws this conclusion that God uh, is a creator, he created for a particular reason and the reason he created was in order to be able to give so avramavinu says you know what if that's my perception of god i'm going to pattern my life after god's behavior after my perception of god's behavior and that's why we all know that of all of the avos the 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 uh, the forefather who personifies giving and chesed more so than any of the other is avramavinu Because through his independent research in terms of God, his philosophical research in terms of who God is, so he realized that God must be a creator whose goal was chesed, and therefore it makes sense that the code of morality that that creator is going to expect of us is to also be chesed, is to also do this unbelievable kindness, and that's why we know, if we uh, remember from uh, from weeks ago when we were reading the parshios about Avram Avinu, that Avram Avinu is just this endless passion for chesed, and he did chesed with the biggest of a He didn't want to send Yishmael out of his home. He was willing to daven for the people of Sodom and Amora that they shouldn't be de- that they shouldn't be destroyed. He was the ultimate chesed, always doing something for others as much as he possibly could, because that was his life's work based on his research and his understanding of the existence of God. That God as the creator isn't just part of the definition of who he is, but rather was a conscious uh, choice which he made to create in order to be able to do good. So it turns out, as we said, that there's a a, a, a great difference, a grand difference in terms of perception of God between Aristotle and, uh, and Avraham Avidu. Aristotle never addresses the question why a universe exists and why God is the creator created the universe, because he never made the choice to do so. That was just part of the essence of who he is from the beginning of time, from uh, for all eternity. Whereas, according to Avraham Avinu, it's an active God, and as an active God, the one who made the decision to do so, he did so with a moral code. According to Aristotle, there's not a moral code which God is going to share with us or God is going to expect of us because he has no basis to have that expectation, being that he did not create for a particular reason. He didn't create in order to achieve something or in order to do something, as opposed to Avraham Avinu, his perception is that God created for a specific person, and therefore, as uh, he patterned his life and he patterned his behavior and his perception of things after God. And that's why we say that that we always associate chesed with Avram Avinu. So so that's why, according to Rav Weinberg, we have to believe that God is the creator and he came before the universe because it's only because he made the conscious decision to create that we accept the premise that there's going to be a moral code which we have to follow, and that's why, as we said at the beginning of this this part, that Avram Avinu went ahead and was willing to allow himself to be thrown into the fiery furnace because he perceived that God is uh, has a moral code which he expects us to uh, to follow. Okay, now that is so. That's why it's imperative and it's necessary to believe. In the uh, the eternity of God and God as the uh, the active creator, rather than being created just by virtue of the job description. Now, up until now, we shift gears a little bit. We discuss what it means when we say God is first, but the Rambam also emphasizes the fact that God is last. So, the question is, what exactly does that, th- does that mean? So, we said that God is first in terms of not that he's the first moment of time, but that God preceded time itself. He existed even before the existence of time. But what does it mean when we say that God is last? Now, it cannot be that God that when we say God is last, who it cannot be that we're emphasizing the fact that he exists outside of time, because already through the first statement that God is first, we already demonstrated that God exists outside of time. So once we know that God exists outside of time, so why do we go ahead and why do we describe God in terms of being last? So we'll have uh, two, dif- two different uh, answers to this, uh, to this question. One a little bit more Kabbalistic and one a little bit more rational. So the first one is the Kabbalistic one. And that is to understand the terms first, Rishon and achron first and last in terms of spiritual uh, in spiritual uh, um, uh, conversation so in the spiritual world we don't measure we don't describe something as first or last in a time frame because the time frame the timeline doesn't really exist so much uh, in the in spiritual worlds but rather when we talk about first and last the words which we would use in English, which would be more accurate for this, is cause and effect. Something which is described as first. So they are the cause of other things to come into existence. Something which is described as last, meaning they are the effect, they are the outcome of what, the, of, of what took place. So let's take a, as an example. We know that there are Kabbalistically, we describe 10 spheros ten emanations or ten uh, characteristics by which God is going to influence or is going to be able to impact the, this, uh, the, this world. That's how God relates to the world. And the mystics tell us, the Makubalim tell us that the order of the emanations, the order of these ten spheros is something which is very specific and each one builds upon the previous one. So we know that let's say there's chesed, Avraham Avinu came first, only after chesed could you have gvura, would you then have the next one, which is strength? And only after Chesed and Gvura would you have Tiferis, would you have beauty, which is Yaakov Avinu. It's not just uh, by coincidence that, they, uh, that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov appeared in that order. The only way for there to be a Yitzchak is to have been built on an Avram Avinu. And the only way for there to be a Yaakov is to be built on both Avram and Yitzchak. So, those are things which are all of these things are very specific. So above the seven spheros, we talk about, let's say, uh, between Pesach and Shavuos during Shavuos, Omer, we talk about the seven lower spheros. That's going to be the Chesed, Gevura, Tiferet, Netzach, Yesod, Hod, and Malchus. I think I got them in order. So that's going to be the seven, uh, sphere, the seven lower spheros. Then there are the upper three, which is easy to remember because Chabad uh, has adopted that as the acronym for their group, Chachma, Bina, and Das. So those are the, there's the upper three, and then there's the lower seven. So of those upper three, so we know that they're also going to be in a very specific order. There's Chachma, there's Bina, and Das. Uh, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, let's say. So these also uh, are very specific. I think the example that they say, in order, in order to understand the difference between Chachma and Bina is Chachma, they say sort of uh, as, as a joke, but there's a, there's a lot of truth to it. That chachma is to know that a, a tomato is a is a fruit. So that's a piece of knowledge. Bina is to understand that even though a tomato is a fruit, you don't put it in your fruit salad. So that's going to be bina. That's going to be an understanding. You take that knowledge and you demonstrate an understanding of how to work with it. So that's going to be a bina. Das would probably be to be able to figure out how to, uh, to identify the characteristics of a fruit. So you should be able to identify other fruits as well. You should be able to look at a pear and say, oh, I already know the characteristics of fruit. I have, I have chachma as far as, uh, I have, sorry, I have das as far as what a fruit is. And therefore, I can now identify that an apple is a fruit and a pear is a fruit and an orange is also a fruit, even though they look very different from one another. So this is a process um, uh, uh, that so the the sequence of chachma, Bina, and Das is not a time-related sequence. It's not that one has to begin at one o'clock, one begins at two o'clock, one begins at three o'clock, or it's not one is in January, one is in June, and one is in December, but rather chachma, Bina, and Das, that process is something of cause and effect, that chachma is the foundation, on the foundation of Chachma, you could then have Bina, you could then have understanding. Then once you have Bina, then you could build on that, and you'll have the Das, you'll have the wisdom which is associated with that. So it's first, first and last, is something which is cause and effect, rather than following a sequential or a linear timeline to be able to say that this one preceded in time another one. So when we talk about God being the uh, uh, God being first and last, so we don't mean to say that God is before the universe and God is after, but even after all is said and done, um, God is the beginning, right, everything which exists, exists because of God, but even after all of creation, you go through all of those universes, which we talked about, all the way from God to the physical universe in which we exist, after all is said and done, you still have God. That's the anode milvado, that there's nothing else other than God. And even after all of the God withdraws and God allows the physical existence to come into, uh, in, into being, still at the end of the day, all we really have is God anyways. And that's what, we would meet, that's what we would explain kabbalistically in terms of God being first and last. Not that he withdrew and no longer exists in the physical world, but even after all of physical existence exists, God is still there. So that's what we mean by last from the uh, Kabbalistic uh, point of view. Then I told you there's going to be a more rational explanation of what we mean in terms of first and last. And that is um, to say that um, uh, God, the the, the definition of God being last or the characteristic uh, or the trait of God being last is really going to be uh, understood in the context of God being first. Meaning what? So if we were merely to say that God is first and through that we would say that God uh, exists outside of time, that God is eternal and God exists outside of time. So we wouldn't have necessarily a clear definition as far as what eternal means because it's possible to conceive of a creation that has a beginning, but no end. Once the universe comes into existence, so why would we think that the universe would ever cease to exist? There's no reason that we would say, there's no reason to think or to assume that the planets or the galaxy will at some time cease to exist. From a rational point of view, from a a, a simple uh, 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 observation, there's no reason to think that, 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 that that's true. Now it happens to be that scientifically, scientifically, there is a law of entropy. The law of entropy or the theory of entropy uh, tells us that the world is slowing down and is growing more and more disordered. Uh, but as far as what we are able to observe, so we don't observe that actually taking place. We don't observe a slowing down of the spinning of the Earth. We don't see anything in the in the universe becoming more and more disordered necessarily. It's always interesting to think about from this, uh, this perspective of, of entropy, what was the point at which it had reached? It's uh, this state of order, which then it's now uh, devolving into disorder. What was at that pinnacle of where things were, were were at the highest point and how entropy is that they're going down? Because if the world started off with nothing and then the universe came into existence, so it has to have sort of like peaked at some point. And then once it peaks, then it's already going to be on its way down. It can either be on its way up or it's on its way down. Okay, but that's neither here nor there. I'm sure scientifically there's a, uh, a good explanation for that. I just don't have the, uh, the science background. But as far as, even if even if that were true, from our human perspective, we don't see that the world is slowing down, that the world is coming to an end with all of the warnings, that global warming and all of the different uh, you know, warnings which they have about how we're bringing the demise of mankind and the oceans are rising and lands are going to get swallowed up by the ocean and uh, glaciers, all, all, with all of that stuff. I don't think anybody uh, thinks that's going to be happening in our lifetime maybe in a few thousand years, 10,000 years, a few hundred thousand years or something, but it's not happening anytime uh, soon. And none of our descendants who may be around at that time uh, can we even uh, uh, think about and consider. Um, uh, But even if that's true scientifically, so as Jews, so we understand that all of life and existence come into being, come into existence, by the will of god so the will of god from uh in simple terms 5781 years ago the will of god was to create the universe and at that point he brought the world into existence he brought the universe into into existence and we know we're taught that as long as god's will continues so life and existence will also continue to exist that everything revolves, everything literally revolves around God's will for the continued existence of the universe, and as such, as long as God continues to have that will, so all of the universe will continue to exist, if God at any time were to, uh, to make the, uh, the decision, that if he were to make the decision that the universe is no longer necessary, so the universe could vanish in an instant. And it wouldn't take a long process of global warming or a long process of melting uh, glaciers to, uh, to swap for oceans to rise and swallow up uh, the all, all of land as, as as we know it. But the, the moment at which God uh, withdraws his will of the constant existence of the universe, so everything vanishes in an instant. And we talked about this in some of the earlier principles in terms of, the frame by frame uh, existence of the universe; that every moment God wills the universe to exist, and therefore every moment there's, in a sense, a new creation. But it, as soon as God pulls that plug, so it doesn't matter what you're in the middle of or what you were in the middle of watching. If that plug is pulled, so then everything, like uh, like on a movie screen or a television screen, if you pull the plug in the middle of your show, the screen just goes blank. It doesn't slowly go, uh, go blank, but it just goes blank because there's nothing else to, uh, to see. So in that, from that perspective, it's possible to say that creation is eternal. It's eternal in the sense that as long as it has God's will, as long as God's will exists, in, exists so the universe is, is eternal as well the phrase which I wrote down that, uh, that captures this idea is forward eternity. I don't remember now from all the years ago when I, uh, where I got that, uh, that phrase uh, from, but forward eternity meaning that it will always exist as long as God continues to will its existence. But when we talk about something uh, being eternal, so we don't mean that it will continue to exist as long as uh, it seems reasonable. Uh, if you look over arnie 's left shoulder, I think it 's his left shoulder, although maybe on mirror but there 's a mountain over there, so that mountain over his shoulder, as far as we know, as far as our, uh, our, our our rational minds are concerned, that mountain is going to continue to exist uh forever forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The mountain isn 't going to go anywhere it 's not going to pick up and retire in Florida or the Bahamas or even Yoheim that mountain is there for uh, for the rest of uh, For the rest of time, so, but when we talk about God being eternal, so we don't see God being eternal even in the same sense as the existence of that mountain over Arnie's uh, shoulder, creation that has a beginning but no end, uh, it has a major limitation uh, in terms of its uh, in terms of its existence, because even if something is going to continue forever and ever and ever and ever. As long as it had a beginning, that means that it can't truly be described as eternal. So we have to emphasize both points over here. We're emphasizing, number one, God is being the beginning or preceding even the beginning. And then also the fact that God is going to continue even beyond that which is there. But being that, we can think that God being last is similar to the universe, which is not really going to have an end. So what we're striving to do is we are striving to give a precise definition of eternity. And that means that that God is not only first in terms of having brought the rest of the universe into existence, but God is also going to be without end. And in theory, not that it will happen, but in theory, God could go ahead and he could outlive the entire universe as well. Again, borrowing those human terms to say that he's going to outlive, but he can outlive uh, all of creation as well. Which we may, from our human perspective, we may go ahead and think that once the universe exists, so it's going to exist for all of uh, eternity. So therefore, we emphasize that even as far as our perception is concerned, that the universe is eternal. And it's going to be there for uh, for all of time. God's eternal nature is something which is even beyond that. It's something which is uh, which uh, which could exist even after even if the universe were to cease existing. God's eternal nature would allow him to continue uh, to continue to exist. So that's the uh, the emphasis on God being last in creation, not just uh, being first. Okay. So let's uh, take a moment over here and summarize what we have in this, uh, this uh, fourth principle. And uh, we'll probably get out uh, early tonight, plenty of time to, uh, to walk to show. So we say, but the, the, the summary of this principle goes, uh, goes as follows. And that is that uh, we would describe God, when we say that God is eternal, that's the nature of the, that's the essence of this, uh, of this principle. So what that means is, is that number one, God has no beginning, no beginning in terms of time, and uh, it, God is also the cause of everything which existed, not like Aristotle who says that there's an eternal God and an eternal universe, but the understanding that God created ex nihilo, or it created yeshmiayan. So that means that God preceded everything else which uh, which, which exists, and His eternal and inf- infinite nature exceed anything else which we would. Uh, which we would describe in human terms as being eternal or infinite. So that's why we say God is first and last, but first and last, existing outside of time. And he was there before creation uh, came into existence. And if God were to cease having the will for creation to exist, the universe would stop existing, but God would still be there. He's at the beginning, he's at the end, he's there when they open up the, uh, the, uh, the theater, he's there whenever the lights go out and everybody goes home, he's going to be there after the show is over, he's going to be there all that time during that, that time. So, God is there as a creator. And also, the Kabbalistic meaning of this is that God is not only first and last in terms of our uh, association of that, of a timeline, but God is also going to be first and last in terms of being the cause. Of everything which came into existence. And he's also going to be the effect of everything which came into existence. As we said, that's the anode, Milvado, that there's nothing else other than God. And that even after an entire physical universe uh, existed, God exists inside of all of that. And we look at everything in the world. We look at a tree. We look at a chair. We look at the computer. We look at one another. And there's godliness, which exactly exists inside of all of those things. And that's what we mean when we say that God is last as well. And since everything else is not the cause of their existence, nobody brought their own existence into, into being. Everything is really a consequence of God. So that is also going to be included in our working definition of God being, uh, being, being eternal. So therefore, uh, the, the last thing is that since, uh, as we said, since uh, other beings did not bring their existence into being, so they cannot be described accurately as eternal, but God, on the other hand, since nothing else brought His existence into being, but the opposite is true, He brought everything else into into being. So, therefore, His existence is independent, and it's for that reason that we can describe it as being both eternal as well as infinite. And that is uh, what I got as far as the uh, the end of the uh, the fourth principle. Um, so I think we'll, we'll hold it over here. So next week, we begin the fifth principle. Now, remember, the fifth principle is going to be important, number one, because it addresses the issue of davening. That's the principle of worshiping God uh, exclusively. So the, uh, the nature of davening and how davening exactly works. So that's going to be in the next principle. And it's with the fifth principle. If you remember from the, uh, the introduction, the principles are divided 544. Four. So the first five describe God. And then the middle four describe the Torah itself, uh, the, the, uh, the nature of Torah. That's the laws which God has given us. And then the last four are going to do with reward and punishment. So with the fifth principle, so this is going to conclude the first uh, section, the first of the three sections of these principles, which are uh, 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 descriptions of the nature of, of God.
1: Thank okay. you, Rabbi.
0: There are any questions or comments? I'd be more than happy to address them. Otherwise, we'll head out to uh, to Marv. We'll see you Thursday in Mirchat Hashem. I'm still uh, trying to figure out what exactly we're going to do. I, I think we're going to do the snow, but I haven't decided uh, definitively. But uh, but uh, we'll see. I'll leave you sort of uh, hanging as far as uh, that is concerned. There, maybe the inspiration for uh, Arnie over Arnie's shoulder, the snow over there. That will be the, uh the, I, don't know, I don't know if anybody's going to get in there and mess up the snow and, uh, you know, have a, a claim, but no, no, you never know. It's an old picture anyway. Okay, good. It's eternal. It's always it was always there as far as you know. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. All, right. All the best, Susan. It's good to see you. Take care, everybody. Stay healthy, Bye. stay safe, Take stay care. warm. Those who get cold by uh, the temperature.